0: and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal travel to face their former boss Unai Emery this weekend. Aston Villa are in irresistible form at home. The last side to win at Villa Park in the Premier League. Yep, you've guessed it. The Arsenal, can they do it again? We preview the fixture right here on the Big Match Preview on the Chronicles of a Gunner podcast. Let's go. <laughs> Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're good. Hope you're well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of a Guna podcast, part of the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. And on this episode, we're going to be previewing Saturday's big, 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 big big game uh, in the Premier League between Aston Villa, who are in brilliant form at the moment under former Arsenal boss Unai Emery. They, of course, take on our beloved Gunners. And uh, that one kicks off at 5.30pm UK time and it will be live on TV, of course, live on Sky Sports here in the UK. I can't wait for this one. I'm really, really, really excited for this game. I think it's set up brilliantly between two sides that are capable of going toe to toe. It's going to be a right old ding dong, as the saying goes. I think it's going to be end to end. I think both managers are going to want to take the game to their opponents. Arsenal, well, because that's the way we play. Uh, generally speaking under Mikel Arteta and Unai Emery seems to have abandoned a lot of the um, sort of stereotypes about him and and how his teams play uh, and gone with this more expansive style of football. And particularly at Villa Park, I expect them to want to take the game to us. The atmosphere is going to be amazing. Uh, as I say, evening kickoff under the lights at Villa Park. And this is going to be a cracker, probably the standout game in the Premier League this weekend and we're involved in it. How lucky are we? Um, big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. Apologies for the fact that this preview show is coming to you a little bit later than I would normally uh, have liked. I would have liked to have done it at sort of late morning, early afternoon. Uh, we are recording this in the evening and there is a good reason for that. I had the 90-minute Christmas party last night and the truth is that this morning I was just not in a state to be recording a podcast. I was... Hungover because I'm getting old and I can't handle um, big nights out anymore. Uh, that's the truth of it. And obviously, I was working at Talksport this afternoon. So, by the time I kind of came to my senses, I had to head down into London for the show. Uh, I am back now. And uh, I thought this would be a better time for me to bring you at least a higher quality preview uh, of this uh, massive fixture, as I say. Um, big hello to Afsar. Dallas is with us as well, joining us. Um, Name's dallas but join us from california we've got trevor uh, we've got damian paul is there amira asad is with us from chicago he says finally catching a live show i'd assume that uh, for certain people this time works a lot better big hello to cesar steve goon gang and we've got archangel in the chat as well interesting that people are kind of framing this game as one that will tell us quite a bit about where arsenal are at um Goon Gang says Saturday is the litmus test period and of course that comes off the back of Aston Villa getting a really really good result against Manchester City which we'll talk about in a bit more depth a little bit later on because I want to talk about what I expect from Villa and of course a lot of that is going to be based on what I saw in their game against City the other night now I kind of took a decision in the lead up to Wednesday night's football, that that was the game that I wanted to focus on. That was the game that I wanted to pay the most attention to, and that's because I wanted to have a good look at Villa ahead of uh, the game. Uh, of course, that um, that that was coming up at the weekend. Also, for sort of research purposes, too. You know, outside of just my own podcast, I'm delighted to say that for the first time ever, I'm going to be doing the commentary for Arsenal TV um, now. A lot of you will know that I've done some under 21 games, under 18 games and stuff for the club website and all the rest of it in the past. This is the first time I'm on Premier League duty. So it's the first time I get to commentate on the boys for the club I love. And I cannot wait. So I was really kind of pumped to sit down and watch Aston Villa. Obviously, I was delighted that they took points off Man City. But what I saw also scared me quite a bit. Um, and uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail because I think there is a lot to like about Unai Emery's Aston Villa and quite a bit to fear if you're Mikel Arteta going into the weekend. Now, on the one hand, I don't think we should be in a place where we're sitting there sort of quaking in our boots, right? This is Arsenal. We've been brilliant. We've been, um, you know, on top of most sides that we've played against this season. Um, you know, we are a side that are challenging for the Premier League title and we should be confident as a result of that that we can go somewhere like villa park and win but at the same time you have to respect your opponents you can't sleep on your opponents you can't rest on your laurels and you need to appreciate and acknowledge where their strengths lay so that you can go out there and do whatever you can within your power uh, to make sure that you're best equipped and in the best possible place to take the result that you want and I think that Mikel Arteta may have to make some tweaks and adaptations to the side that played against Luton, for example, in order for us to stand a great chance of picking up the result. And we'll get on to that shortly as well. OK, let's let's start then with our preview of this one. Arsenal travelling, of course, to Villa Park on Saturday evening under the lights. Come on, you gunners. Um, Let's uh, kick off by reviewing... Some of the highlights from Mikel Arteta's press conference. Now, he spoke to the media uh, this morning ahead of this one. I'm not going to go through the transcript word for word. I I figured that over the last few weeks, it's better when we do it like this. We just kind of take some of the key points from it, relay those to you. And if you want to read the transcript in full, of course, you can find it on arsenal.com, football.london, all the usual places. Um, And of course, you can watch it as well. You can watch it on the Arsenal YouTube channel. You can also watch it on Haters TV, I believe, and various others. But here are the highlights. Here are the key points from Mikel Arteta's press conference. He said um, when speaking about the victory at Luton, that his team have an unbelievable desire to win. He hailed their unbelievable desire to win after that 97th minute winner at Luton. He was highly complimentary of both Aston Villa as a football club, uh, the group of players, the ownership, everybody, and of course, Unai Emery. Now, Mikel Arteta is Basque. You know, he'd have grown up um, around some amazing footballing people. And there's always this chat recently, isn't there, about how um, Mikel Arteta and Javi Alonso are two are two people that have come out of that Basque region and have, have shown themselves to be really brilliant, intelligent, and innovative coaches. And Mikel Arteta basically said that the man that kind of paved the way for this and the guy who's ultimately probably the most successful bass coach ever and is way more successful than both of those two guys is of course Unai Emery so he was keen to pay respect to the man that he ultimately went on to replace at Arsenal he was also asked about the celebrations at Luton the fact that he was booked and all the rest of it and that that now means that he won't be on the touchline, um, he hinted interestingly that he feels that other managers have gone bigger with celebrations and escaped unpunished. He he said that there have to be rules for us um, and, and he referred to the, the managers as we rather than saying me, you know, he wanted to make that point that, you know, without kind of directly saying it because he's already in hot water with the authorities, but he wanted to make the point that, you know, this kind of thing, if we're going to apply, it has to be applied to everyone across the board. And he won't feel that it has been. You certainly feel, even speaking to people outside of Arsenal circles, that Mikel Arteta has been extremely harshly done by with that yellow card, which now means he's unavailable. Difficult to know really what kind of impact that's going to have, the fact that Mikel Arteta isn't on the touchline because I see him as somebody who brings energy from the side of the pitch. He talks a lot about the fans transmitting energy, doesn't he? From the sidelines, from the stands, over to, of course, the players that are on the pitch as well. And that can be really, really helpful when you need it. Maybe when you're running on empty as a footballer to kind of look over and see that energy coming from elsewhere can give you that second wind and that extra bit of lifeblood that you need to to kind of get going and, and maybe go up to that next level in terms of your performance. So, Mikel Arteta plays a big part for me from the sidelines, a bigger part than most Premier League managers do, I would argue. I think there's a few in the league that do it well, like Arteta. Klopp is one of them. Pep is one of them. Um, And I think that really comes across and it does rub off on their players. The only example we've got of where Mikel Arteta was not on the sidelines was that game against Manchester City at Emirates Stadium the season before last. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it took place on New Year's Day. And we lost to that late Rodri goal, but we were excellent. We were really, really good that day. And so the one previous example we have of Arteta not being on the touchline is a good example, but it's really, really difficult to gauge what kind of impact this is going to have. He said he'd be watching it from the director's box. He did say that he won't be jumping up and down in the director's box, but you just can't imagine Mikel Arteta sitting still, can you, throughout this game? It's just going to be incredibly difficult for him, I'm sure. Um AirPod Albert, as he's known, is probably going to be the guy um, tasked with kind of leading the efforts from the touchline. And um, he's a very experienced coach. He plays a big role uh, in Mikel Arteta's staff. And so you look at him and you think, you know, he, he'll do fine. So don't know how much of this I should be reading into or, or how concerned I should be by this. I think where we will lose out a little bit is that I think Mikel Arteta is quite good at putting pressure on the officials. Aside from the things that he gives to his team, energy, um, you know, the constant communication and all the rest of it, I think the fact that he is quite vocal and can be quite forthright when in his technical area or outside of it, as we know he, he also likes to um, do and, and operate in, I think you're in a place where you've got to start to you know, you've got to start to wonder if if we're going to miss his influence in that sense, in terms of maybe the fourth official, in terms of um, the official on the pitch, although it feels like they're, they're really after him at the minute. So maybe actually taking him out of the equation might be a good thing. He did confirm that he's had his hearing with the FA, uh, but of course he's still awaiting the outcome on that. Of course, they're waiting for Liverpool away so they can suspend him. Just before that, I'm sure they are. Um, he did say that he won't stop celebrating and uh, that he doesn't regret his actions at Luton Town. Uh, on the team, when asked if everybody uh, was OK, he said, um, he said, uh I think everybody is going to be OK. So, yeah, plain and simple. It looks like everybody that was available at Luton Town will be available for this one. He was asked about Thomas Partey and when he could maybe be expected to return. He wouldn't be drawn on that. Mikel Arteta. He didn't want to give a date uh, somebody said that there have been suggestions that, of course, he could be back for the trip to Liverpool. Michel Arteta said, "Look, that would be very soon. Didn't want to give too much away." But if he was to return ahead of Liverpool, I don't think anyone would be surprised. Mikel Arteta has um, has previous when it comes to kind of keeping his cards close to his chest uh, with regards to injuries. So, um. Yeah, he did say that we've got five key players missing, which is true, hinting uh, that we may have to make a move into the transfer market in January. So those are the highlights from Mikel Arteta's press conference ahead of the trip to Villa Park on Saturday. Right, it's time to dive into our statistical preview. If you look at the head to head in the Premier League between Aston Villa and Arsenal, there have been 56 meetings between the sides. Arsenal have won 31 of them. Aston Villa with just 11 wins and there have been 14 draws between the two clubs. So in the Premier League era, Arsenal's uh, record over Villa is significantly better than the way it is the other way around. Now, if you look at the form guide currently, Arsenal have won their last four league games, victories over Burnley, Brentford, Wolves and Luton, all teams you'd expect us to beat in fairness um, after that really disappointing outcome at St. James's Park. Aston Villa have only got three wins, but they've picked up some impressive wins against some good opponents and at some difficult places. You've got to give them credit. Uh, They won, obviously, at home on Wednesday night against Manchester City. Leon Bailey's deflected effort making the difference that night. They uh, drew, of course, away at Bournemouth the week before that, which was a slightly underwhelming result, but we've said it all along. Unai Emery's the perfect fit for Aston Villa because there isn't that pressure and expectation. To win every single game prior to that they went to Spurs and won by two goals to one and prior to that they made easy work of Fulham with a 3-1 victory at Villa Park so three wins in their last five for Aston Villa one draw and one defeat for Arsenal it's four wins and a defeat in their last five in terms of the recent meetings between the two sides you'll all remember that memorable victory for the Arsenal last season Um, on Saturday, the 18th of February. And as I mentioned, that is the last time that Aston Villa lost a home game in the Premier League. Arsenal were the side to inflict that damage on them. That time, can they do it again? Can Arsenal be the ones to put an end to the streak? Uh, 4-2 win, Jorginho speaking on the Athletics Football Podcast the other day, uh, insisting that he still thinks of that goal as his own, despite it taking a deflection off of the back of Emi Martinez on its way in. Um, Prior to that, we'd managed to beat them 2-1 at the start of the campaign on Wednesday, the 31st of August. If you go back to the season before, it was a 1-0 win for Arsenal at Villa Park and a 3-1 victory at home. And our last defeat in the Premier League came on Saturday, the 6th of February 2021 against Aston Villa. That is, of course, by just a goal to nil. So the Gunners have won four of the last five previous meetings with Aston Villa. So um, we've got every reason, I think, to be pretty confident. However, this is a better Villa side. This is a Villa side that are in a really great moment, as Mikel Arteta would put it. And we've got to be wary and mindful of what they bring to the table too. If we look at the top player statistics, if we look at goals, um, Ollie Watkins leads the charge and by quite some distance, he's got eight Premier League goals. So across these two sides, he is by far the leading goal scorer in the Premier League this season. Leon Bailey and Eddie Nketiah are tied in second with five apiece. When it comes to assists, Bukayo Saka has been the chief provider across these two sides. He's got six. Um, Watkins has got six So them to a joint, I beg your pardon. And Musa Diaby comes in at third with four. When it comes to passes, uh, William Saliba and Declan Rice are in the top three, but sandwiched in between them in second place. Is Aston Villa's Paul Torres. And this is always an interesting one, tackles. Douglas Luiz leads the way on this with 33 tackles. Bubakar Kamara's in second with 31. And Matty Cash is in third with 30. So the top three tacklers across this fixture are all Aston Villa players. I would make this case, and I made this case when we were talking about last weekend's game, that the reason you get this is because... Villa generally have less possession than Arsenal do so they're going to need to make more tackles and so sometimes this statistic can be a little bit of a red herring and maybe something that yeah it looks good but not that you should read too deeply and too much into I do want to go on um, to, to what to expect from Aston Villa and we'll do that in just a second Um, But before I do that, I just want to gauge some of you guys' thoughts from the live chat. A quick reminder before I do that as well, if you haven't done so already, please do um, leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're watching us on YouTube. If you're listening on audio, then please, please uh, do leave us a review. Um, Dean De Jager says, uh, joining from Auckland, New Zealand. Come on, you Gunners. He says, we'll step up tomorrow with that siege mentality. A draw would be a good result and a win would be fantastic. I'd be content with a draw. I really, really would. Unless we're like leading the game and we concede late, then, you know, I'll be quite content with a draw. You, you never want to accept the draw when you've been winning a game or if you're in a really comfortable position and silly mistakes allow you essentially um, to leave the back door open, uh, meaning that your opponent kind of sneaks in. So, yeah, you know, equally, if you're 1-0 down and you score in the 95th minute, then that's a great draw, isn't it? So, Yeah, context is important here. Uh, Richie says, is Arteta able to communicate with Albert um, within the 90 minutes? I think he can. I think he can. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to. I mean, we've seen managers get around this kind of thing in the past, where if they can't directly um, communicate, the manager will have someone next to him who can, who is permitted to communicate with Albert down on the sidelines. And he'll be telling him what to say down the line. It's, you know, there's always ways around these things. Patrick Carlson, just in reference to the point about five key players being out, you know, Tommy Asu's out at the moment. Timber's out too. Um, should we bring Tierney back in January is the question. I don't know. I don't know that Kieran Tierney's going to want to come back in January. And I guess that would be really dependent on what the situation with Jury and Timber looks like and how long Tommy Tomiyasu's expected to be out for. But it's an option, of course, that Arsenal have and um should utilize if the circumstances require that. I, I'm not sure that we'll get to that point. I'm hoping that we don't get to that point where we need to call Tini back because I don't think that's helpful for um, us because we're only coming up with a short-term solution because clearly he doesn't really have too much of a future at Arsenal under Mikel Arteta. And I don't think it's, you know, ideal for the player himself who's probably wanting to get into a bit of a rhythm and um, and enjoying life uh, in the Basque Country, so see that a place that Mikel Arteta knows really, really well. OK, we're going to take that short pause and then we're going to do what to expect from Unai Emery's Aston Villa. This is uh, going to be fascinating, I think. What to expect from Unai Emery's side. This is, on your screens right now, the lineup that beat Manchester City on Wednesday for those of you listening on audio I'll just run you through it Emmy Martinez was the goalkeeper the back four was made up of Consa, Carlos Torres and Dean the midfield was made up of Bailey Kamara Douglas Luiz and John McGinn with Yuri Telemans playing just off of Ollie Watkins now it looks like on paper a 4-4-1-1 but it was very very flexible um, Dina would move into midfield quite a bit. McGinn would tuck infield alongside Douglas Louise and Bubakakamara. Um, Tielemans would get close to Watkins, Bailey would get up close, um, of course, to Watkins as well. And although that's how it looks on paper, I don't think that's the reality of what you actually face. So let me explain exactly what some of these movements look like. You can see uh, that three of the back four in that Villa side are centre-backs. Ezri Consa, Diego Carlos and Pau Torres are centre-backs. So it's quite similar to the Arsenal model, really, where those three come together and become a compact, narrow defensive unit, which allows Luka Dean to step into midfield and use that wonderful left foot that he has to inflict damage on the opposition moving forward. Now, if you look at that team on the left side of the midfield, as it's shown there, you see John McGinn. John McGinn is not a, w- a wide player. John McGinn is not a winger. John McGinn wants to be right in the middle of the pitch. He wants to be involved in everything. He's a busy player. He's a sharp player. He's energetic. He will step into that midfield along with Bubakar Kamara and Douglas Luiz to make it a three, thus opening that passage for Luca Dina to get forward. Um, opening that space for him to work in. So Villa's system actually evolves into something more like a 3-5-1-1. One, one. Maybe a three-five-two if Tielemans gets really close to Watkins or if Bailey does that from the right wing. So I expect in possession for us to see that adaptation from Aston Villa. And it's very similar to the game model that we play with. And that's why I was able to recognize it quite quickly when I watched Aston Villa's game against Manchester City the other night. On that night, Douglas Louise, John McGinn and Leon Bailey, in particular, I thought everyone was, but in particular, those guys were outstanding. Will Aston Villa play with the high line? I think they will. I think that's what Aston Villa want to do at this moment in time. Will they drop off 10, 15 yards potentially um, from where they kind of normally set up their high line. I think they might because of the threat that Arsenal have with Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli. If they don't, this is going to be one hell of a game, but I will expect them to just drop off that little bit deeper. So rather than pushing right up to halfway at times, you might see them 10, 15 yards deeper, just kind of sinking back slightly in order to protect themselves and limit the room in behind for the likes of Saka Um, and Martinelli to operate in, particularly given Gabriel Jesus is so good at threading that all together, particularly given that Martin Odegaard uh, looks like he's on his way back towards his best form and he is likely to be in the side. So yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating, but that's what I expect. One of the things I took encouragement from when watching Villa the other night was the fact that they put so much energy into that game as you need to, to beat a Manchester City side. But that made me think that, hold on, if they're putting that much energy in, what happens against Arsenal at the weekend if they're not having much of the ball come 60, 65 minutes? Are we going to see a drop-off from Unai Emery's side? He's been really, really fortunate with injuries this season. I think going into that midweek round of games, he'd had eight of his best 11 available for every single game so far. So there's a real continuity with that Aston Villa side. Will the energy levels drop? I think one of the things he could do to try and kind of keep those energy levels high and and obviously refresh, um, uh, you know, one particular area would be to bring Moussa Diaby back into the side, top, top player. I know a lot of Arsenal fans wanted us to go out and get him, but that would mean probably replacing Leon Bailey. And I just think that Leon Bailey was so good. He's finally found some consistency In recent times, he was so good against Manchester City, ended up scoring the winning goal. It would just feel incredibly harsh if he was to be taken out of the side. But that is an option that Unai Emery has available to him if he wants to um, freshen things up. I've put in my notes an energetic performance expected from Aston Villa. Yes, because that's how they play. That's what they know. That's what they do, generally speaking, under Unai Emery. However, will they be able to maintain that for the entire 90 minutes? And is this a case of Arsenal having to turn up, be compact, be organized, not allowing themselves to fall in any traps. And then being confident in the fact that as the game goes on and the spaces open up and Mikel Arteta has, you know, what I call finishers on the bench, the likes of Trossard, maybe even Kai Havertz this weekend as well. Does he kind of bank on trying to take the game late on and relying on his defensive unit that with the exception of the Luton game has been pretty solid? in recent times. There'll also be that extra bit of motivation, won't there, for Unai Emery and Emi Martinez, given their history with Arsenal Football Club. Fingers crossed that doesn't come back uh, to bite us. But that's what I expect uh, from Unai Emery's side this weekend. And so that brings me on nicely to the starting 11 that I would pick to play in this game. Now, you're going to be surprised. I think some of you will be because I've made a change, two changes to the side, actually, um, that played, of course, at Luton Town the other night. The interesting one, I think, is the goalkeeping situation. Don't want to go over this again. I'm bored of it. I'm sick to death of it. But I would continue with David Reier in goal. And I'll just briefly explain why. I think generally, over the last few weeks, Arsenal have defended really, really well. That's undeniable. David Reier has played a part in that. Has it been the biggest part? It's been a bigger part than Saliba or Gabriel. No, I don't think it has, but he has played a part. That is for certain. One of the criticisms that Arteta has faced over the last few weeks is that he is somebody who um, has created this environment where both goalkeepers are so nervous of making a mistake that neither of them are able when given an opportunity to perform anymore. That's what the accusation is. It's He's created this problem. He's created this mess. He's pitted them up against each other. And as a result of that, when Raya plays, he's nervous all the time, um, afraid of making a mistake that's going to cost him his place. And when Ramsdale comes in, he's petrified of making a mistake himself. If you are criticizing Mikel Arteta for that, and that's your reasoning and that's your rationale, which it is for a lot of people, then you have to stick with David Raya. You have to want him to stick with David Raya this weekend. And the reason for that is because if you don't, if you say that after a bad night at the office for David Raya, the first time in a few games that he's looked a bit shaky, that you want him out and you want him replaced with Aaron Ramsdale, then you are essentially calling for the very thing that you criticized Mikel Arteta for doing. You are calling for that ruthlessness, the ruthlessness that we've all been saying has caused this kind of panic and and, and stress on our goalkeepers that has impacted their performances. David Ryer is the number one people. Whether we like it or not, that is it. That is the situation. David Ryer is the number one goalkeeper at Arsenal Football Club as of today. And I fully expect him to start in this game, by the way. My back four would be White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Had Asu been available, he'd have been in that left back for me. He'd have been in that left back. Um, no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever, and I'm big on balancing a football team. And as a result of um, Tommy Tomyasu being unavailable, Zinchenko is is the the one that comes in for me rather than Kivior. But that also impacts my thinking in midfield. And I think that with Zinchenko at left back, who's obviously going to come into the middle of the park, I don't think that we can get away with playing Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard. So I would go with. Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard. It's a fixture that Jorginho uh, did really well in last time out, of course. Um, But also, I think that's the midfield that gives us just a little bit more stability. And I think we're going to have to defend a fair bit um, at Villa Park. And I just look at the way that I expect their midfield to morph into this midfield trio at times, which is full of energy. Um, And I think we need to give our back four more protection. Jorginho and Rice as a combination will offer you more of that. Then, of course, um, Rice and Havertz would, just because of uh, sort of Havertz's sort of natural inclinations, which are to go forward and all the rest of it. So I think that's the way to go in midfield. Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard. And then my front three would stay the same. Martinelli, Jesus and Saka. Let me know your thoughts on the lineup as well, Um, because, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see what you guys are thinking. I've been thinking quite long and hard about this today. Um, uh, we got this one from Kush Trim. He says, hi, Harry. Do you think starting with Jorginho instead of Havertz will win the midfield battle? Well, I think Jorginho calms down everybody on the pitch and Havertz is more like the last 15 minutes um, type of player when a result is needed. Yeah, that's I know you, you sent this comment before I explained it, but that's basically my rationale is that Having an additional defensive-minded midfielder will create that little bit more stability. Um, Zinchenko being back in the side plays a part in my thinking there as well. Had Tommy Asu been in the side, I'd have been more open to the idea of Kai Havertz starting. And listen, this is not a criticism of Kai Havertz. This is not anything to do with his level of performance. I came away from Luton saying it was his best game in an Arsenal shot. I thought he was fantastic. I really, really did. This is a purely tactical thing for me. And, um, and I think that Kai Havertz is the type of player that when this game is potentially stretched, when Villa may be run out of gas towards the end because of the uh, demands of that victory over Manchester City, he might be perfect to come on and maybe win us the game. But at this stage, um, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards this setup and this uh, formation. Khalid is a little bit worried uh, about the idea of putting Jorginho in the side because of uh, the pace he expects this game to be played at. Cesar says, has Arteta really created this mess, going back to the goalkeeping situation again? Or is it something created for the media? It's pretty obvious Raya is the number one and it's not really a competition. Yeah, I think it's obvious. Um, but I think when Raya puts in performances like the one he did at Luton, he's not really helping his, his, uh, his manager out, is it? Because he's given him something to answer. Um, that he wouldn't normally need to answer if the goalkeeper was performing um, to a decent level. Okay. um, Nav says, I agree, Harry. If you keep chopping and changing, Raya will end up losing even more confidence and Ramsdale hasn't played in a while. Um, What else have we got? Raya, Ray, as says, no one can blame Arteta for making our goalkeeper nervous. No one is. His decision and Raya is his number one. Raya should be doing better than ever. Um O'Melly says, um Havertz with the second man runs against those high lines. You make a great point. You make a great point. And I'd be lying if I if I said that Havertz didn't cross my mind when I was picking my team. Now remember, this is my team. It's not the team that Mikel's definitely gonna pick, and and you know, it's just an opinion at the end of the day. But I just think that There are going to be periods in this game where we're up against it. I think more so than ever in 2023, football can be decided by substitutes. And I'm not saying that you want to hold something back, but to have Havertz and Trossard to be able to call upon, and even Eddie Nketiah, if you want to, at a latter stage in the game could be quite impactful and, and actually could prove to be the difference. I just think from the beginning, given that I think Villa could tire late on in the game, I would be wanting to keep it solid. We're away from home. You don't want to be up against it too much. You want to try and get some kind of foothold in the game nice and early to control the ball. And I think Jorginho again, you know, would really, really help us with that. So that's the thinking behind the decision I've made. But I don't doubt that Kai Havertz could be effective uh, against Aston Villa. Not, not for a second. Um Paul Morris says uh, the atmosphere at Villa Park is going to be intense and we will miss Arteta. Hopefully we don't miss him too much, but the atmosphere is going to be incredible for sure. Um, Omi says uh, playing a double pivot is the way to go. Please note that there were 22 shots against City. Adding Jorginho along with Rice will only help bring Havertz on from the 70th minute onwards. And we win the game with long balls. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, That would be nice. OK, Um Let's take a couple more of your questions. Um, Rob Bob says, Scoreline, I'm going 4 2 to the Arsenal. Lons tried to play against us, as Villa will likely do, and got battered. But I do see another few mistakes from Raya. Please don't, please don't jinx him. My prediction for the score is Aston Villa 1, Arsenal 2. Now, you'll note that I've got a few. Um, pretty close in the last few weeks. I certainly didn't get the Luton Town one the other night, but the two before that, I think I got one spot on and one I was a goal out. So, um, and that was that annoying goal that Mateus Cunha scored for Wolves late on, which meant nothing in the end, but was incredibly frustrating. So my prediction, Aston Villa one, Arsenal two. Um, I think Arsenal will take a two goal lead and I think that at some point Villa uh, will narrow that deficit and then we'll have to hold on and make sure that we can see the game out. But yeah, um, that's uh, that's my prediction thank you all so so much for tuning in as always really really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the big match preview here on the chronicles of a Guna podcast and of course um, yeah I look forward to speaking to you guys post this match now I won't be doing the, the post-match podcast until Sunday morning so I'll speak to you all then Uh, where we can go through a nice comprehensive breakdown of what we see. And hopefully we're talking about another three points for Arsenal and then that pressure turning uh, to the other sides, of course, vying for the Premier League title this season. Thank you. As always, like the video on your way out. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And if you're listening to us on audio, well, you know what to do. Leave us a review. You've been listening to the Chronicles of a Guna podcast. Until next time, goodbye. (laughs)